While you're turning to Psalm 51, I want to remind you to pray for four young couples in our family. Uh, Jeremy and Alyssa, they've been married less than a week. That's the wedding we went to last week in Florida. That's Jeremy and Alyssa, and they've been married just a few days. But pray also for Andreas and Caitlin. They got married about a month ago. Lynn went to that wedding down in uh, Texas. And then I got two daughter, two granddaughters that are engaged. Hannah is the granddaughter. She's engaged to Hunter. Pray for them. They need a lot of wisdom. And then Leah, our granddaughter in Omaha, pray for her and her man to be Adam. So I got a lot of uh, lot of weddings on the agenda here that are taking place. All right. And if you think of it, also pray for me. I have an insurance challenge. You know, you get full coverage insurance on your car and you break a windshield and they say, you're not covered. We cover the car, but not that part. Ooh. <laughs> Makes me want to get in the flesh. But uh, pray for that situation if you would. Psalm 51 is where we're headed tonight. I hope it's helpful to you. Uh, three Roman numerals here after you put your name and date on there. Roman numeral one, we're going to look at the scripture. At least one of the scriptures to help us restore our joy. And then we're going to look at the subject at hand to help us restore our joy. The subject of joy. And then we're going to give you a solution as, solution as we close tonight. Now, the pastor that you have here is very good at expositional messages. I do a number of expositional messages. I usually save them for Sunday morning service. But I'm one of those guys, I really love topical messages because many times in my life, there's just a word that comes into my, my heart and my mind, and that one particular word, I just, I just got to study it. And uh, my wife and I specifically, we went down to Florida to, to get a little joy, okay? And uh, it, it worked to a big big degree. But I uh, appreciate your prayers for us. We had safety going down, safety coming back. We went down there. Everything was green, and the sun, sh the sun shone every day. And I think the coolest day we had was like 78 degrees. I thought I'd rub that in a little bit. And then we came back here, and everything is snow white and perfect, okay? But uh, we appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, while I was down there, I was able to read three books, uh, you say, well, why weren't you visiting your kids? Well, they wanted to go to the beach and sit in the sun, and, you know, there was more girls than boys, like 10 girls and a couple of guys, and I didn't want to go to the beach and sit and do this, so I was at home recuperating. I read one of Dr. H's, that's Hittitable, the name that I can't pronounce either, Dr. H. Uh, he had left a book, or I bought a book on Jerusalem. I found it very interesting to read. I also read a book by uh, Ben Carson, now, Ben Carson is a brain surgeon, or was a brain surgeon. He's now retired and entering into politics. Very interesting. If you like to read generically outside the box of just fundamental Baptists, I would encourage you to read a little bit of Ben Carson. Uh, I hear tell he's uh, connected probably to the Seventh-day Adventist group. But uh, just look at the book as a political book, and you'll see that it's very interesting the way that he tries to handle all of the huge problems that our country is facing so uh, I, I appreciate it. That's the first full book I've read by Ben Carson, but it's one of those books you can sit down and start reading, and, and you can go all the way through it without hardly putting it down. Very, very good book. By the way, Ben Carson's, for what it's worth, his middle name is Solomon. His mother named him Solomon. And he said Solomon was most famous for um, the dividing of the baby. Remember when the two ladies were arguing over the baby, and Solomon said, well, get a sword and let's split them? And um, Ben Carson is famous for separating co-joined twins. He actually did split two babies. He, they were separated. They were 
co-joined at the head, and he separated them in, in brain surgery. But um, he uses Bible verses in almost every chapter of his book, so I was impressed with that. And then the other book, which I forgot to bring, uh, the other book I found in the uh, airport on my way home because I ran out of reading material, so I picked one up, and it was called uh, How to Handle Difficult People. And my wife said, I should buy that and read it for myself. And, uh, but anyway, the idea behind the book was that if you have relationships that are difficult to iron out, this book will help you. And I did find it very helpful. And uh, it's one of those books that caused me to preach on joy tonight. So I wanted to do that. <coughs> We're going to start in Psalm 51 here. And I think I'll start with verse number 7, since there's the mention of the word snow. Okay. I believe this is a psalm of David. It's, of course, famous for being the kind of psalm where he repents of his uh, sin with Bathsheba. And so his heavy is very, very hard. He's acknowledged his own sin, but he's crying out to God and asking to be revived, asking that his life might be brought back to normal. And so he says, uh, if I start in verse 7, he says, Lord, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean which signifies that he had some things in his life that had gotten dirty. And he says, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He knew the power in the blood of Christ. And then verse number 8, we start to get into this theme of joy. He says, make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. So there's two mentions of joy in verse 8. Verse 9, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean, a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Which certainly implies that he had been carrying a wrong spirit. And uh, oftentimes you and I fall into a wrong spirit. Verse 11, he says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. By the way, these are, these are phenomenal prayer requests. I know that a lot of people just give this prayer to David because he had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, and then they forget to apply it in their own lives. But it's a great prayer to apply in your own life. Because as we enter into verse 12, we get back to the theme of joy. He says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Now, he didn't say my salvation. He said thy salvation. Very important to get that and then he says uphold me with thy free spirit and almost as if to say in verse 13 lord if you'll do that then verse 13 then will i teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee deliver me from blood guiltiness O god thou god of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness O Lord, open, thy, my, uh, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise, which I think is a fourth mention of the theme of joy. And that's what we want to look at tonight. So let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for these great people that found it more important to be in God's house than to stay home and watch television or look at the wall. Lord, we're so thankful that we can Go to a church that preaches your truth. 
We're so thankful that we can be around other believers that believe your truth. And we're even thankful, Lord, for the opportunity we have to witness to a lost and dying world with your truth. Lord, there, there is no book in the world as great as yours and as good as yours. And it's, it's sad when so many people will not even open their Bibles. But we thank you tonight for the privilege that we have to study this subject just, just briefly. Lord, we pray that when we leave church tonight, we will sense the importance of being a joyful believer and that we, through the course of the week, would spread some of that joy to others as they watch our testimony and as they read our living epistles, as they read our life. Lord, you know how to use each one of us. You also know when we come to church which people have heavy, heavy burdens, which ones have struggles that they're, uh, they're not even willing to mention. You know, Lord, the heartache and the health issues. And Lord, we just need you. And we pray tonight as we look at your word that we will see how much you love us and care for us and, and want to help us. We ask for that help now by the Holy Spirit's power. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. <coughs> Under intro there, or right next to intro, maybe I could list for you a couple causes for lost joy. Now, if this was a Sunday school class, I'd ask for your feedback, but maybe I can, maybe I can read your minds here a little bit. I'm going to give you a list here of the things that take my joy away. Well, we lived in two airports, and the TSA had a lot of rules. And uh, they robbed my joy, okay? <laughs> many, many, many rules by the TSA. Taxes. Uh, I see this tonight on the news. The tax deadline would jumped up from April 15th to May 17th. So if you're worried about getting in on time, the, the government gave you an extra month to pay them, okay? The news. Uh, you know, when you hear of car crashes that, you know, I think there was one in Texas where 12 people were killed. That's got to be a record. It doesn't matter where they were from or what they were doing, but 12 people in one car crash, that's, that's huge. And then last, the last couple of days, there was another truck crash where eight people were killed. That's, that's disheartening. Those are the kind of things that rob our joy. Uh, going to the, the dentist, which I call purgatory, that, that always steals some of your joy. You get to go in there and you pay him several hundred dollars so he can torture you for an hour. That never did make much sense to me. Divorce robs our joy. You know, I'm a grandparent, Lynn and I are grandparents, but when our young adult children get a divorce, that hurts us, and it robs our joy. And uh, if you're going through a divorce yourself, I'm sure it steals your joy. Death, of course, always is a puzzle for many and always causes sadness and sorrow. Deep, debilitating health. And on and on we could go. I know all of you could list one or two things that probably rob your joy. Well, let's see if we can get some help tonight from God's Word. I don't know if any of you have got a stimulus check yet. Would you dare raise your hand and say, I got mine? Yours came in the mail? Good. Or it came electronically? Okay, so we're going to the Dairy Queen after church tonight. On West, okay? How many else got, who else got theirs? One, two, there's hope for us, Lynn. Look at there. Now, if you're like me, the stimulus check is not going to restore your joy fully, but it will help with the bills. 
So we are kind of glad for that, right? It does help a little bit to get an extra a couple hundred bucks in, in, in your account. I think they're trying to buy something from us, which they will tell you about later. But uh, uh, it is always refreshing when somebody else, other than yourself, puts money in a checking account for you. But uh, it'll only help some. I want to encourage you to go to God's Word and to go to God Himself for the most help. Let's look at this passage in Psalm 51. Interesting here. Letter A. David says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Backslidden David needs his joy restored. Now if you look at verse 14, he says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. Hmm. Uh, I think what happens sometimes is we try to have our own joy. And I think sometimes we fail because we try to save ourselves. We try to rescue ourselves. We try to deliver ourselves from all our problems. And the psalmist here in verse number uh, 12, um, he, he's asking for the joy of thy salvation in the first part of verse 12. Not my salvation, but thy salvation. It's, it's God who saved us. We, you weren't, well, in, I guess in part you were looking for him, but fundamentally, he was looking for you. He knew the rascal you would be. He knew the rascal you were. And he reached down from heaven and he sought you out. He brought his salvation to you. And if you accepted it, then you can call it yours. But really, he is the one that initiated that. You remember when uh, Adam tried to hide from God in the garden? God said, Adam, where are you? He was looking for Adam. And uh, sometimes we think that salvation is all of us and none of him. Not so. Restore unto me the joy. And there's joy in knowing that. There's joy in knowing that it's God who saves us. We don't save ourselves. It's, there's joy in knowing that God can deliver us from consequences. We don't have to deliver ourselves. It, there's joy in knowing that he will rescue us. When we're out on the ocean of trouble and our life raft is leaking and the air is going out, he sees that. He will, he will help us and he will rescue us. Backslidden David wanted his joy restored, the joy of God's salvation, thy salvation. Let her be here. He also says in verse 12, Uphold me with thy free spirit. Now we know in the first part of verse 12, David felt backslidden and out of place. In, in the second part of this verse, I think David feels trapped. Because when you're trapped or incarcerated, you're not free. And uh, David's spirit, David's attitude was trapped with troubles. He was trapped with sorrows. And he said, Lord, uphold me with, there again, thy free spirit. Give me that freedom. Give me that hope. Give me that, that thing that will help me escape from this trap that I've got myself into. This trap of despair. From having lain with Bathsheba. He wanted his free spirit back. You know one of the things you can notice in other Christians. What I look for is a sparkle in their eye. But I also look for their free spirit. And I've got some friends that are. That are trapped legalistically. Into an Old Testament law law law. Kind of a jail. And they're, they're missing out on that free spirit. Uh, one of the plaques that I read. In one of the stores I visited, 
It said, we live by grace, not by perfection. Which is an interesting plaque. Because I think oftentimes we just drive ourselves crazy trying to do everything perfectly. When you try to do everything perfectly, sometimes you lock yourself into a jail and you, and you lose that free spirit. Very important to David and should be important to us. You want to have a joyful spirit. You've got to focus on God's salvation. You've got to focus your prayer life on asking for your free spirit to come back. Let her see here. He says, Lord, if you'll do that in verse 13, he says, Then will I teach transgressors thy way, thy ways. Uh, David, like you and I, I think pretty much everybody you interview will say this. What do you want to do with your life? And surprising how many people say, without listing the job, they will say, I just want to help others. I mean, who doesn't want to help others? David wanted to help them through instruction. David wanted to help them get to know God better. David wanted to teach them. There it is. Then will I teach transgressors thy way. David had a longing to help others. And without the joy of the Lord in his heart, who would listen to him? Who wants to listen to a grumpy old teacher? We, we want to, I don't know about you, but I liked, I remember the teachers that were happy because they made me happy. And I remember the old grouches, and we never, we never wanted to go to Mr. Grouch's class. Why? Because he, his grouchiness superseded his capacity to teach. He couldn't teach well. He didn't love his job. He was there for a paycheck. You ever meet people like that? They don't like their work. They're just there for the paycheck, and they make lousy employees because they have no joy. They have no free spirit. They have no desire to teach others the ways of the Lord. And then in letter D here, and here's, I think, the important thing. And sinners shall be converted. Now, most people don't think of David as being a soul winner, but he was. You say, well, were there any conversions in the Old Testament? Yes, there was. People got saved in the Old Testament the same way we get saved in the New Testament, by faith. Their faith was faith in a Christ to come. Our faith is in a Christ that was here. But we're saved, we're converted by faith in the Lord. And he says, sinners will be converted. Lord, if you'll give me back my joy, if you'll restore my joy, then I can help others that are backslidden. I can help others uh, pray for a free spirit. The Lord, if you'll help my joy to be restored, I can teach other people your ways. And then, Lord, others can be converted unto thee. Now, if David, who was one of Israel's great leaders, if you, if you ever get to go to Israel, you'll see that David and Moses are the two biggest heroes in Israel's history. If, if the people of Israel would give the attention to Jesus that they've given to Moses and David, they wouldn't have any problem. David was a huge, huge hero in Israel. And still is today. Now if David could lose his joy. Being the hero and the king that he was. Uh, you and I can lose it as well. But, but what's interesting about David is he knew how to get it back. And that's what I want you to figure out. How do I get it back? Amidst all my struggles and trials and troubles and pain. How do I get my joy back? Well. Roman numeral 2 here, let's look at the subject to help us restore our joy. 
The question becomes, what is biblical joy? What does it look like and what does it feel like? If you were to take a dictionary and look up the word joy, you say, well, I don't need to look that up. I know what it means. I think Dr. H., a couple of weeks ago, said some of the most important words in the Bible are two letters and three letters. And I agree with them. All, or, and joy. Those are, those are three-letter words. They're very, very important. If you were to take a dictionary and look it up, which I think sometimes we, we neglect to do, we neglect to look up the simple words, the little two- and three-letter words, you'll get something like this. Let me give you two definitions. Now, there's not room on your paper for that. You'll just have to write them someplace on the side or lock them in your brain. The dictionary says that joy is a feeling of happiness that comes from success, good fortune, and a sense of well-being. Joy is a feeling of happiness that stems from success, good fortune, and sense of well-being. A second definition, which is quite similar, joy is a source of happiness, delight, enjoyment, or pleasure. Those are all characteristics of joy. Now, three things about the joy of Jesus. Number one, Jesus had joy <coughs> in pleasing his Father. Right after the word reference there, put John 8, 29. And if you'll trust me to turn to it, I want you to stay in Psalms, and in a minute we're going to go to Hebrews, but um, if you'll trust me here to read John 8, verse 29. And he that sent me, this is Jesus speaking, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And uh, that's very important that we do the same. We try to please our Heavenly Father. I think one of my wife's greatest joys was to look out the kitchen window when the kids were little and to see that they were getting along in the sandbox. That was pleasing to her. And I think when the Lord looks down from heaven in, a, in our little earthly sandbox, and he sees that we're getting along, I think that's pleasing to him. Okay? Whether we be a church family, or just a biological family, or a country, we ought to be pleasing not only our earthly fathers, but we ought to be pleasing our heavenly father. Jesus did. And we should. Second thing that Jesus found joy in was when he <coughs> helped the disciple, the disciples increasing their faith. Jesus found joy increasing the disciples' faith. And right after the word reference, put Luke seventeen five. And if you'll trust me, I'll read it here for you. Luke seventeen and verse five. The nice thing about using a lot of Bible verses is I don't have to give you my opinion. This is what God's Word says. If you don't like it, take it up with Him. But uh, the disciples begged. They asked of the Lord in verse 5 of Luke 17. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Jesus found joy in helping the disciples increase in faith. <coughs> And you know, as a pastor and working with Pastor Yoder, I don't think there's anything we appreciate more than to see your growth and to see your steps of faith increase. 
to see your giving increase, to see your attendance and participation increase. That brings joy to a preacher's heart. But fundamentally and more importantly, it brings joy to the heart of Jesus. And if the disciples had to pray, Lord, increase our faith, maybe we should do that. Maybe we haven't done that in a while. Lord, increase my faith. I've got a $1,400 stimulus check. You know, it's easy to tie the dollar out of 10, but it's a little harder to tie the 140 out of 1,400. Isn't it? You know, most of us are used to writing out little checks, but it's a little harder when you have a big check. And by the way, uh, Ben Carson says, to, to eliminate the tax system, just charge everybody and every business 10%. <laughs> he said, we'd be way ahead and things would work out a lot better. So all businesses pay 10% and all individuals pay 10%. Use the tithe. He says it's an amazing way to resolve the tax issues and the tax problem. Probably the reason they won't do that is it's too simple. They can't have simple. Letter three here, number three under uh, what Jesus did. Not only did he find joy in pleasing his father and increasing the faith of his disciples, but in Hebrews we see that Jesus maintained his joy by his focusing by Jesus focusing on endurance. And now we want to go to Hebrews 12. This is pretty important. Turn to Hebrews 12 and look at verses 1 and 2. <coughs> Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us this is a challenge to all believers verse 2 we need to be looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith he started it by saving us and he'll finish us he'll finish us off <laughs> as the bumper sticker be patient god isn't finished with us yet well he's getting there who that would be jesus for the joy that was set before him that's jesus he endured the cross. He despised the shame, and he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, cross enduring is a little more than a sliver in your little toe or your big finger. Enduring the cross is, takes great faith, and it takes some serious endurance. Uh, if you're, if you're an evangelistic kind of a Christian and you're trying your dead level best to see people saved, you're going to get a bunch of, you're going to get a bunch of persecution. You're going to be told by the other churches that you're preaching hearsay. You're going to have tracts crumpled up and thrown in your face. You're going to have nasty letters written to you without a return address. You're going to have city officials calling you up saying, what are you doing over there at that church? There's a, uh, Persecution that comes. Those that live godly will suffer, the Bible says. And we need to have an enduring type of nature in order to handle all that. Jesus endured so much that we could certainly endure just a little bit. And if Jesus maintained his joy by focusing on endurance, then, then we could do the same. So we have the scripture and the subject. Now let's close with the solution. How do we keep our joy and full restoration as we're taught in Psalm 50 verse 12 restore unto me the joy of thy salvation well let me give you four not the only four but let me give you four of uh, many ways to help maintain and restore joy 
First one is to share salvation message and tracts with others. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. And it gives the four areas where we witness. And if you want to add Romans 1.16, Paul said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I don't know what the highlight of the last week's trip was for Lynn, but one of the highlights for me was our last five minutes in the airport. I could finally lose the mask. But there was a young fellow from Nebraska. He told me the name of his town, but I'd forgotten already. And he had a, he had a hat on that had a flag on it, so I assumed he was a veteran. And he had three little girls. Well, we have three little girls, so I felt a common denominator there. I felt a common bond, so I looked at him and I said, where are your brothers? And her little girls look at me like, who is this guy? But I initiated a conversation with the little girls. They were probably, I don't know, four and three and a little baby. I knew it was a, I knew it was a girl because the girl, I think, was dressed in pink. Isn't that right? Pink for girls, blue for boys. Whatever. It was three girls, though, because I mentioned it a couple of times. And the fellow was, I suppose, mm, well, probably late 20s. Young, 30s. I said, where do you live? And he told me, in Nebraska. And I said, what do you do? He says, well, I, I got our own farm. And he says, uh, I'm a health worker. And I thought, aha, I know why the Lord wanted me to talk to him. I have a track for hospital workers, health workers. And I said, I hadn't given him the track yet. I said, what does your wife do? She's a nurse. I said, okay, Lord, I hear you, though got three little girls he works in a hospital and rehab and she's a nurse i've got the perfect track for this young guy will he take it or will the tsa agents arrest me for witnessing to him well i stepped out in faith and, and i said hey you know i see from your hat you're a veteran he said no i'm not a veteran well i'm going to give you something anyway is that okay and he said sure and i handed him this track and i said you know I don't give this track to everybody, but you're, your wife's a nurse, and you're in physical therapy. And I said, my wife had six months of physical therapy a while back, and I think you might enjoy reading this. And he said, that's mighty nice of you. He said, thank you so much. He said, I will read it. And all this time, I was looking around for TSA agents, because I don't think you're supposed to soliticize. Is that a word? Soliciting? I don't know if you're supposed to solicitize in an airport or not. But I felt good when I was done with that conversation, which lasted about 10 to maybe 15 minutes. You might pray for the guy. I don't know what his name is, but the Lord knows who it is. Pray for the young man that Pastor Forsberg witnessed to in the airport with three little girls. He'll figure it out. Pray that he'll read the track and get saved. If you want your joy restored, start sharing the gospel with other people. All of us have relatives and friends and coworkers that need Jesus. You know they need Jesus. I don't know them. So you witness to them. And little by little, bring them along. Leave them a track. Talk about spiritual things. Watch and see if the Lord doesn't bless you for that. Secondly, another way to restore joy is to let others see your joyful face. Let others see your joyful spirit. John 8, 32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And we know that David said, Lord, uphold me with thy free spirit. People need to see Christ in you. I think there's a hymn to that effect. May Christ be seen in me. Can, can you 
Look at people coming out of Walmart, and can you get a good idea which one might be believers by the way they dress, by the countenance on their face? Try it sometimes. It's interesting. You'll be disappointed at how many people are full of gloom and doom. But occasionally you'll see somebody and you'll say, you know, I think that might be a Christian. In fact, if you think it is and you've got a few extra minutes, ask them. Say, are you a believer, by the way? I've noticed the way you conduct yourself. I was in uh, Bemidji, Minnesota, I think. And I was at one of the fast food places. I think it was Hardee's or McDonald's. And a fellow pulled up in a Jeep and he started washing windows. And he just went to town. He washed all those windows. He did all the windows inside and out of McDonald's in less than 10 minutes. It's amazing. Got all done and I was on the way out of the store. So I asked him, I said, uh, you're a Christian, aren't you? He said, yeah. He says, how did you know? He said, I was just watching you, the way you conduct yourself. I think he had a sandwich, and I saw him bow his head before a sandwich. And it turns out he ended up coming to our church and joining our church. And if Lynn helped me out here, I'll think of his name. Yeah, Rick Diaz. He was a veteran, and he just uh, he wanted to have a, a just a regular job. And so he started advertising to wash windows, and he had about 100 customers. And that's what he did for a living. And he ended up in our church, and I think three or four of his kids ended up in our Christian school. But I could see Christ in the way he worked, in the way he conducted himself. Let others see your joyful face and your free spirit, okay? And let her see here, uh, you're almost out of patience and I'm almost out of page here, so let's see if we can wrap this up. Teach others the ways of biblical living. Now, I know Jesus is the way, I understand that, the way singular, but ways here, I think, refers to all the different areas of our life that he wants to work in. in Psalm 51, 13, we've already read it, but, but uh, David says, If you'll help me out, Lord, I will be able to teach others. I will be able to teach transgressors thy ways. Everybody should always be mentoring somebody. And somebody should always be mentoring them. Uh, I do a lot of mentoring with little Micah. And believe it or not, he does a little mentoring on me, too. He taught me some things I never thought he knew. But uh, we should always be teaching others. But we shouldn't get to the point where we know it all so nobody can teach us. We should be allowing others to teach us as well. One of the surest signs of a, of a disgruntled believer is when they're unteachable. So, so be teachable and teach others the ways... To live biblically. And then letter D. Pray regularly. That your own joy. Will be full. And we'll close in John. With John 16.24 here. If you're ready for me to close. Say amen. Oh shucks. I was hoping you could. I could stay a little bit longer. John 16 and verse number 24. Jesus again speaking. He says hitherto. Have you asked nothing in my name? Ask and you shall receive. Why does God answer prayer? Well, here's one reason right here, that your joy may be full. The Lord wants us to be joyful. He wants us to be content. He wants us to be happy. He wants to have us uh, full of the love of Christ so others can see Christ in us. So very quickly, Roman number one was scripture. The four words are thy, free, teach, and converted. Roman number two was subject. The four words are biblical, pleasing, increasing, and focusing. 
And Roman numeral three was solution. The four words are others, spirit, teach, and full. By the way, Jesus is the answer. The acrostic, Jesus first, others second, ourselves last. Jesus can restore your joy in a long winter. He can restore your joy if you have lonely nights. And he can restore your joy if you lost it. Just ask him and watch him work. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for loving